Hello and welcome to another episode of Stratcom Talks. I'm your host, Jafar Hastan. Today we will be talking about countering disinformation and misinformation in journalism. And to talk more about it, joining me today is Klaus Jurgens. He is a veteran journalist and also a political analyst. Thank you very much, Klaus, for joining us today on this podcast. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Thank you. Now, Klaus, uh, since you have been uh, working in the industry of journalism for quite a while, how do you think this industry has evolved over the past uh, few decades? Well, this is a question actually I started to prepare for yesterday. I just remembered when I set out literally at university, the logic inroads into our profession was you find a newspaper, basically a local one in, in most cases, with very little money, you do your actual training period, which could be anything between six months and two years. And you didn't have to go to university at the time. Yes, I'm that old. You could actually climb the ladder every year, every two years. And ultimately, after a certain number of years, you would be the uh, editor, perhaps, of a couple of pages, perhaps, of an entire local newspaper. Then came the biggest challenge, how to enter the big ones, the mainstream, the broad sheets. Then all of a sudden, everything changed. It became common standard. You have to study political science, at least in Germany, to go into journalism. The joke was made, what do a political scientist do? Well, he has to become a journalist. Now, joking apart, you mentioned the decades. Everything has changed. Now we have communications faculties. People are really trained for three or four, five years before they actually enter our profession. I want to, to end on, on a comment here, a little warning. It is, of course, perfect to enter from the academic world, but only if you keep your feet on the ground whilst studying. You can't be parachuted into an editor's or into a journalist's seat in a leading newspaper or television studio without having any practical knowledge. So I think it has changed a lot. Many more people can enter it. It's much more varied, but I am still not 100% certain whether the graduates only approach is actually correct. We need a graduates approach and a hands-on approach. So you, you would say a hands-on approach, a practical experience is imperative. Absolutely. And not just in one department. Uh, you should look over the shoulders of the sports editor, the politics editor, the culture editor, the international relations editor, the technology editor. And then you become an all-rounder. But granted, after some time, you will specialize into one or two subjects. But yes, hands-on as many apprenticeships as possible, as many start to write, send them in as much exposure as possible whilst you are at university, yes. Okay, now Klaus, uh, of course, since uh, with the emergence of emer emergence of technology, uh, journalism, ha doing journalism has become much easier because now everyone has access to their mobile phones uh, and, uh, you know, platforms such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So, you know, this whole idea uh, mobile journalism has come into existence anyone anyone basically you know even even e though even those who are not uh, professional journalists can engage in journalism 
with their phones. Now, with that, keeping that in mind, how do you think, uh, or what do you think perhaps future holds for this industry? It poses a chance and a risk. I really thought about it yesterday whilst preparing for, for our program. I said the old style was you do your training. The uh, more recent style, you go first to university. But the future could be that everyone is a journalist because the internet makes it possible. And of course, the more news are actually published on the internet, there is a risk to the more traditional media. We've seen it over the years. The number of print media are going down dramatically whilst social media and online news channels are cropping up and popping up. Again, a cautious word here. I fully support citizens' democracy and that everyone and anyone can post online. But the cautious warning is how do we distinguish between fake news and actual factual based news. The reader, the, the audience has to do a lot of research and homework in order to distinguish and find out what is actually a lie, what is actually fake. And I think this is not an easy task. So yes, I see a threat to more traditional media. I see a chance that we have rather a type of participatory democracy, but I would be very, very hesitant to say, let's get rid of, of all the established media, let it have a citizen's participatory approach and we all live happily afterwards. I'm, I would, uh, not because of my own perspective and my profession, and, and uh, uh, that would be wiped out, but I really think we need people who are properly trained to really do the news and then social media and other channels to actually complement that, but not the other way around. Right. So, of course, while there are, there are advantages of uh, being a citizen journalist, there are disadvantages too. And uh, the primary disadvantage is uh, the rise of uh, disinformation, misinformation and fake news, which brings me to the, to the next part of our discussion now. Certainly, Klaus, over the past, uh, especially 10 years, there has been a dramatic rise in uh, fake news and misinformation on the social media. I want to I first ask you about your own experience with it. How do you differentiate between what is fake and what is real? That's an excellent question, Jafabe. Now, uh, it is a tough one, a tough task for me at the same time. When, when I'm online, when I'm not writing or going to meetings or traveling or, yes, indeed, family time. Now, I do get, I think, on average, every two to three minutes, 100 new tweets. I'm not joking. If I would really add all the other social media channels I'm subscribed to and would literally click on each of them, I would probably get mad. Now, automatically, there is a selection, and this is another danger zone approaching. We click, we click, we click, we click selectively, either the people we know or the topic we know or the people we trust. So yes, there is a certain selection that we continue, same like in the good old days, buying our favorite newspaper or watching our favorite eight o'clock news hour. We do tend to source from people we think we either know 
or we trust. So there is a kind of selection mechanism. But having said that, most people who are not in our profession would neither have the time nor the interest to get even close to that. So they will do a selection, same like we do, but then they will select uh, very biased because they will say, look, I support a certain political party, hence I only want to read tweets from that political party. I support a certain football club. I only want to get news from that club. I like reading a certain newspaper online. I only want to see tweets or LinkedIn or Facebook from that particular media. So that increases the risk of one-sided biased information for the most part of society who then are never exposed to page five, to page 12, to page 20 of their newspaper because they only read the first one or two pages in, in figuratively speaking. And it is a huge task. And this gets me back to, to my previous comment. Social media is fantastic. Everyone can say basically what they want, but there is an audience out there who cannot necessarily distinguish what is real and what is fake. Talk about numbers. The Corona crisis was a very, very good example. Some people defending government measures all across the world, automatically happy posting, the numbers have increased, the numbers are increasing, the numbers are increasing. Others saying the exact opposite, the numbers are not increasing, they are decreasing. Please find different statistics. So here we are, right in the middle. Coming back to my initial point, I would still trust serious mainstream media to do their homework to tell us, yes, this is true, this is not true, this is true, this is not true. But yes, huge task, e even, even for me. I, I am quite selective by, by sheer numbers of, of potential hits I have to miss out of time constraints. Okay, great points uh, there, Klaus. Now, uh, I want to stick to this topic for a bit more. What's the best way to counter misinformation, fake news, and uh, disinformation on uh, on uh, in the field of journalism these days? What would be your advice uh, to our listeners who want to enter this uh, industry? I would approach now the other side of the same coin. I would approach governments all across the board to be more proactively interested in and involved with our profession, not only to hand out glossy magazines and brochures and say whatever governments do is perfect, please put it onto your editorial or onto the opinion page, but giving really background information, engaging in dialogue, inviting journalists to background meetings and really helping them to do their job. This happens very often on local level fantastically well. I give you one example now based in Austria, in a more rural part of the country. Now we have a lot of local media still, luckily, and it would be unheard of that a local politician from one party would not talk to basically all of the media, but so would the opposition. A big investment is coming to the country, uh, an influx of international residents, you name it. The local journalists sometimes, I think, have it easier to get access to local information because the local side of government depends on being mentioned in the media. On national level, it is again much more selective. 
Very often a journalist is waking up in the morning, does the research, has to call five or ten people and very often is shown a cold shoulder. No, we can't give you any background details. Happens to me all the time. We can't give you this and that and this and that. And this results in, in an article which is not as well researched as it actually should be. Cut a long story short, a more proactive engagement with uh, our profession, letting people, the journalistic profession and the media profession know you are part and parcel of running a country. You are part and parcel of actually doing things and getting a message across. You are not sitting in your ivory tower writing nice articles. We want you to actually write about the facts. And this would, I think, diminish the risk that fake news are published because we would have so much more chance to actually do our proper research. And I'm not mentioning any particular country. This could go from north, south, east, west. I think this is uh, my observation, having spent some time in this profession in a fair number of countries. Okay. Now, we're approaching the end of this discussion, Klaus, and I do want to ask you, because I believe this is something that uh, everyone needs to understand, especially those who want to enter this industry, especially those youngsters who are students of journalism right now. How much responsibility do journalists have? Oh, Jafabe, it's, it's immense. We, you, I mean, I'm just uh, uh, nearing the end of my career, almost grandfather age, but the younger generation now, now in the driving seat has immense power to comment about developments and sometimes indeed push them into a certain direction. Hence, when they start learning about our profession, they must understand the meaning of the word truth. They must understand the meaning of the word non-biased. And I'm pretty much sure you knew that if I have a chance for, for 10 seconds, of course I would come to the country I'm, I'm, I'm now standing in, in in Istanbul, now uh, many colleagues in Europe uh, very often believe in fake news about Turkey. If they would only do their proper research and cross the line from believing what the naysayers, the people who wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and say, what can we negatively report about Turkey today? Let's find something. If they would only wake up and say, this is not proper journalism, you know, we have to take on board what you said, responsibility. How do you think a journalist can avoid becoming a part of another country's disinformation campaign? Oops, now you've got me. Well, let me try to be extremely uh, oops, personal. Okay, now think, I, I'll be going back to Austria or Germany or Belgium, uh, let's say tomorrow. And uh, I am planning to write about the country I have just left, which would be Turkey. Now I am back in the other place and I open my inbox. I read the press releases and uh, I would get information saying that what I thought I just picked up here, it must be completely wrong. The economy is uh, kaput going down. The country is uh, nearing the abyss and everything, there would not be a single word under normal circumstances which would reflect what I personally have just found out. Of course, we are bombarded 
by news by certain governments, which would actually tell us the exact opposite of what is correct. Again, there is no, no meters touch. No one has it. Uh, I think we must be honest to ourselves and say, look, in our profession, we should not take sides with a particular development. We must take sides with the truth. That, that is the only way I can sum it up. All right, uh, Klaus, thank you very much for taking out the time for this important podcast. I really appreciate your analysis. Uh, you shared some very, very useful uh, insights and tips uh, for upcoming journalists, and I'm sure they find it, uh, they, they're, they're going to find it very useful. Thank you very much once again for becoming a part of Stratcom Talks. Thank you very much.